This can be played at high volume. Live and local. This is the game. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. You better get ready. Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now. Let's do it. I'm ready. Let's do it. Do it. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Hopefully, you're having a tremendous Saturday morning. Definitely a lot better than, you know, what it was yesterday because, my God, the rain pouring down. May have been a bad sign for the Astros and the Saints yesterday because, my God, the Saints... Not not the best performance in the world. There were some highlights, but whenever you have the big talking point is your punter and the kicking of Will Lutz, which, mind you, Will Lutz being back, I did not realize how much I missed that cat. But true story. Like, I was a person who hated the idea of getting Will Lutz because it was very much like you got him, and it felt like you were going to get rid of him after a few weeks. That's kind of how Sean Payton operates. Once you start falling apart, if you're a kicker, you're going to get kicked out, and it's very quick, in and out. But somehow, some way, Will Lutz was able to turn that fortune around for the Saints because for a while, especially after Garrett Hartley, you had issues getting kickers in-house and getting consistency there. Blake Gilligan, he absolutely murdered a football with a punt that if Pat McAfee wasn't calling SmackDown, he would be blushing at what Blake Gilligan did last night. 81-yard punt. Absolutely amazing. And then Will Lutz hitting a 59-yard field goal. Those are the only like, true highlights in terms of like, hey, that's awesome. When it's the special teams, you kind of are concerned about the rest of the team. Now, again, you didn't have any starters. Andy Dalton never saw the field. K.J. Costello never saw the field. It was the Ian Book show, which got me thinking. And that's a dangerous thing when I start thinking because I start having my mindset shift towards other things. And when I think about one Ian Book, I have to think of him as probably now there's still plenty of time for him to kind of change this narrative virtually overnight. But I think there's a long list of players that can go down as busts. Now, am I saying he's the worst draft pick of all time? Not even close. But I think in terms of what he's done and what was expected of him, because I think... One, Sean Payton had the biggest man crush on him, and that's why they drafted him where they did. Whenever they probably could have gotten him later, and it would be a lot more understandable. I, I said it when he got drafted. You shouldn't have drafted him when you did. And for those who kind of forgot, when he got drafted, he was drafted in the fourth round. 
This guy had sixth round written all over him. And the Saints got to look at him again in a more in-depth situation. Now, he got cooked. He absolutely does not feel like an NFL quarterback, and he never really did in my mind. He felt a lot like Garrett Grayson 2.0, which I think Garrett Grayson could be considered in this list. I'll go ahead and unveil. And that's the five worst Saints draft picks of all time. Garrett Grayson doesn't get into the ARV, but I think he definitely deserves it because he was a third-round pick and was absolutely overrated. Like, dude never saw the field. You knew about him, but you never saw a damn thing about him, which I think was a good thing. So before I get into the list, I'll explain the exercise a little bit, and if you want to call in, 337-706-0111, because this is an interactive segment. I want to get down as to how I got these five worst Saints draft picks of all time. I went through all the picks and looked at them based off what they contributed and also based on where they were picked in the draft. And spoilers, there's a lot of first-rounders in this mix. And I'll explain them a little bit again. If you have some you want to throw in, 337-706-0111. And I'll start off at number five, Rick Middleton. As a first-round pick, this guy only played two seasons in the black and gold, hardly recorded any statistics of note before going to the Los Angeles Chargers. He was a 13th overall pick. And again, this was like during a time when the Saints were mid as mid could be. And you had that guy as a 13th overall pick. That was your expectations to kind of change things. Didn't work out all that well. Number four, Stanley Jean-Baptiste, hands down the worst pick from one of the worst drafts of the last 20 years, if not longer, for the black and gold. He only played in four games his rookie season. Then he got cooked in the preseason finale by the Green Bay Packers. Kind of funny how things turn around almost 10 years later where Stanley Jean-Baptiste looked like a jabron and was destroyed by the Green Bay Packers in a preseason game. Sean Payton reamed him out and tossed him out very quickly. And then you never heard from him again. He was basically thrown into the phantom zone after that. Absolutely deserving of number four. And again, this is coming from a place of recency bias. I cannot stand looking at that 2014 NFL draft class that the Saints had because it was pa-bong outside of Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks was the one good thing that came out of it, and he only played for a few years before he got a little bit of an ego and then started homie-hopping. He basically jumped around to a lot of different franchises, landed the Los Angeles Rams, and what do you know? Now he's with the Houston Texans. He went from the penthouse to the outhouse real fast. He just jumped around a lot of different teams and never could really get back to the levels that he was, especially his rookie season. His rookie season, he was damn good. So I can't hate the guy. Just what he did, what he brought to the table. So Brandon Cooks may be the lone highlight of that, 
But when you bring up Kyrie Fort, Vinny Sinceri, Ronald Powell, and Ronald Powell, and Tavon Rooks, you got to think that is a absolutely horrible, horrible, horrible 2014 draft class, and probably one of the worst that the Saints have had. And that's saying something. Because they've had some big misses. Hell, I put Stephon Anthony on that list as well, but I think that was just more a product of the team at that time. Howdy Kikaha could be the same thing, but Kikaha was a damn good rookie. Injuries got in the way. Garrett Grayson, I mean, 2015 wasn't much better, but at least you were able to get some highlights out of it. Number three, I think one of the biggest busts in Saints history. Jonathan Sullivan lands at number three. He played for a few years, yes. 36 games. But then was exiled to New England as one of the first moves of the Sean Payton era, if you don't remember that. When Sean Payton came around, Jonathan he saw Jonathan Sullivan, said, get the hell out. He basically went full Ari Golden entourage when he took over the company. He basically just wrote on a whiteboard, get the bleep out. That's what happened there. Jonathan Sullivan was just not a great player. And again, this was a sixth overall pick. One of the few times the Saints had gotten like a high-level draft pick over the last 20 years. I'd say 20 years is about right. Playing a handful of games just did not do a damn thing for anybody. Definitely had that, I mean, to a certain extent, Marcus Davenport may be the only real comp in terms of recency, but at the same time, he's when he's on the field, he has so much potential. He's, he's pretty damn good, but it's the fact that he is injured a lot hurts his stock, and hopefully he can get better this season because, honestly, those Peyton Turner footsteps, they're a lot quieter than they were last year, but I think you're still concerned about the health and durability of the former UTSA Roadrunner. Number two on this list, I think, could be number one in a lot of people's. Maybe this will be where a lot of us disagree. And you can always disagree by calling us, 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. Number two is Sean Knight. He was part of the team in the late 80s. Again, this is Saints kind of mid in that weird kind of transitional period where they were good for a little bit in the 90s, but not necessarily great. This is where we're at. Sean Knight, late 80s, lasted exactly one season in 1987, stunk up the joint. And this is the definition of horrible 11th overall pick 11th overall and I'm sure I just made a lot of older Saints fans wince and cringe when I mention number 11th overall pick in the 1987 NFL draft I said three years in the league and like right out the gate he completely screwed himself Whenever he showed up late to training camp. Come on, guy. You know you've got a job. Why are you showing up late to practice? 
to training camp. That's a bad sign. And that immediately kind of was a big fallout with the coaching staff. Rookie year, all said and done, sent him over to the Broncos. And then he basically stuck around, played 31 games, only recorded a single fumble recovery. On the defensive side, he very much has that Jamarcus Russell type vibe. So much potential, but not worth a damn when it comes right down to it. And I think number one with a bullet is just more because who you got and where you got him. And no, it's not Ian Book. It's going to be a name that I think a lot of people are still wondering in 2022, why the hell we got Russell Erxelbin, and I'm probably mispronouncing that name, you know, we talk about people in Louisiana having different names. This cat had a very different name. Erxelbin, punter, got drafted in the very first round at 11th overall. What is it with 11th, 11th overall picks for the Saints falling apart? Or better yet, you know, just being very weird and out there. You had 11th overall pick in the late 80s in Sean Knight. Good old Russell, he had a decent career. But why are you drafting a punter in the first round of the NFL draft? I do not and cannot understand what the hell they were thinking. It's one of the strangest things I've ever seen. And probably the most baffling decision the Saints have ever made. Getting a punter in the first round. Nobody's really ever done that since then. Now, again, good career with the New Orleans Saints. He got caught up in some legal issues, but at the end of the day, he had a pretty good run. He had some good kicks after a, a little bit of a paw ball rookie season in, the, in 79. Turned it around. He was looking good. But then, I mean, he's also on teams that were absolute dog. So that really doesn't help matters. And then he got kind of wally pipped from his kicking position by one of the all-time greats in Morton Anderson. Also receiving votes. We always like to do a little ARV action with the top five. Ian Book is the one guy from this like current crop of guys on the team that I think deserves to be in this. And it's just based off of the couple games we've seen from him. He had the Miami Dolphins game, which doesn't really count against him because you did have a lot of issues with that franchise. You had a lot of issues. But now, you fast forward. It just doesn't look good. doesn't look like he is anything that you wanted to be. He had a really nice run towards the end of the ball game, but... Is that really what you want to see? Your quarterback having to run because the offensive line fell apart pretty doggone quick. Now, I think that's just the fact that you had like probably second, third string at that point. And, but not a great look. Nick Toon is another guy. Great name. I think a mid-wide receiver. And 
There was no reason why you should have gotten him when you did back in the 2012 NFL draft in the fourth round. He did not really pop off the page. I had some highlights here and there, but just very much once he got out of the Saints, he was out of the league very quickly. And then we get to, I think, a case of baffling decision is an understatement in Ricky Williams. You for, for you forfeited, excuse me, the entire NFL draft that year to go get Ricky Williams. Now, he had a good career with the black and gold, but was he worth that much to your team to mortgage it? I don't think so. There's hardly been anybody, I think, in the history of the NFL that is worth giving up that. Now, of course, you could say Tom Brady, but that's hindsight 2020 type stuff. But in the context of the NFL draft's history, I wouldn't I wouldn't have traded to go get Joe Burrow number one overall. I wouldn't have forfeited my draft and mortgaged my future to get him. It would have been great, but you wouldn't have had anything else to really work around in both the short term and the long term. I don't think I would have gotten Aaron Rodgers and traded up to get him and give up everything. It was an idiotic move from Mike Ditka. And again, Ricky Williams, fine career in the NFL and with the Saints. Just not what I think we wanted. Gonna go ahead and take a quick timeout. Last week, we broke down the NFC in a nice little tier list. We're going to do that with the AFC in the next segment. Going to talk with Bob Rose about the Saints with their preseason loss to the Green Bay Packers, where things kind of stand with Jameis Winston, and more. So keep it locked right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the Houston Astros and LSU Tigers. After all your problems during the week, it's finally the weekend. Yeah, baby! That's what I've been waiting for. That's what it's all about. That means you're getting more Under the Dome with CD right now on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Going to bring on Bob Rose in moments to talk about the New Orleans Saints after a tough preseason loss to the Green Bay Packers in the penultimate game, which, mind you, I love the fact that we got only one more preseason game rather than two more preseason games because, honestly, it takes away from my enjoyment of the first weekend of college football, which we're just two short weeks away from. Cannot wait till we get to that point. But before we get into the NFL, the regular season talk, and college football starting up, we need to get into what I think is the definitive tier list for the AFC, in my mind. And we're going to go step by step here. So first off, 
we got to go with the S tier, and I think there's two teams that stand out to me like a like nothing else. You got the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals. Josh Allen proving himself to be one of the great quarterbacks in the league right now. The team is being built around him, and they have all the potential to make a run for the Super Bowl. Again, strong favorites to come out of the AFC, and they've been that way for the last couple of years. But I'm wondering, is this team just potential? Or can Bill's Mafia circle the wagons and land in a Super Bowl for the first time in a long time? That said, a team standing in their way is the Cincinnati Bengals. They are going to be a top contender. They went from worst to first a year ago. Now, of course, can they stay on top? They're in an AFC North, which is, I think, very middle of the road compared to what it had been in the past. That's my personal opinion there. But you've got a elite quarterback in Joe Burrow and probably one of the most lethal combinations in the league in Burrow and Jamar Chase. And then you've got not just a competent offensive line, but you've got an elite offensive line built around Burrow, who the game's already slowed down for him, Imagine how much better he can be now that he is protected. I think they run away with the AFC North and make a run for at least the AFC Championship game. I wouldn't be surprised if they make it back to the big game in 2022. Or 2023, excuse me. A-tier. Kansas City Chiefs and the Tennessee Titans. And here's the thing. The Chiefs are a team that deserves to be in the S tier, but I wonder if these younger pups aren't passing them by. If they're, if the Chiefs aren't ex- like experiencing a little bit of buyer's remorse with the Pat Mahomes 10-year like insane deal that they made. Just my personal thought process on that. Then the Titans are a team that has a very narrow window to be an A-tier team. And in my mind, I've said it for a while, and people just don't realize it, is that I constantly think that the Titans are good only because of Derrick Henry. They're going to go as far as that that guy is going to let them go. Because here's the thing. Ryan Tannehill, for the bulk of his career, before he joined the Titans, was very middle of the road. He's got a lot of great experience. But Tannehill ain't that good compared to a lot of other quarterbacks, especially in the AFC. But the AFC South is his playground because he's playing against the Indianapolis Colts, who are going to be contender for a wild card spot, and the Jaguars and the Houston Texans, who are continually being a franchise at the bottom of the barrel. Now let's get to the B tier. And it's interesting to see like who winds up in there. And we go with the New England Patriots, the Denver Broncos, and the Los Angeles Chargers. Bill Belichick still trying to get over the breakup with Tom Brady and prove that he can do it without Brady. And Matt Jones, I think in year two, a lot like Burrow, is going to get better. Do they overtake the Buffalo Bills? No, but I think they do secure a wild card spot. That's why I have them firmly in the B tier. Now, what's interesting is how the other wild card spot is going to go down. Because if you've got two teams, one that made an incredible move to go get Russell Wilson, 
Maybe he can be the long-term answer. Maybe now that you put an offensive line around him, Seattle Seahawks, maybe he can actually be a halfway decent player. And he can maybe revive some of his career. That's at least my thought process on that. The Broncos, without a doubt, are a B-tier team. And then the Los Angeles Chargers. You got Justin Herbert, a guy that I wrote off, and I regret doing so. He has been a damn good player in the league over the last few years. Now, can Herbert get that Chargers team over the hump? It's going to be fun. Because you're in a stacked, and I mean stacked, AFC West. Get ready for those two teams to square off and that be like a Week 17 type end game where winner goes to the playoffs. That'll be intriguing. C-tier, I got to go with the Baltimore Ravens, Pittsburgh Steelers, Miami Dolphins, Colts, and the Raiders. The Ravens are probably the more interesting of these Ducks because they could be a B-tier team, but I think it's more because... Lamar Jackson. Defenses are eating him alive because the film is out on him and people know what kind of quarterback he is. Can he reinvent himself? That's the million-dollar question that I have. Steelers, Mitch Trubisky. Being the starter, interesting. Especially with Kenny Pickett, guy who I think could overtake Trubisky if he falls apart, which I think he will. Because I think Trubisky still has too much of that Chicago in him. And again, this is the first year without Ben Roethlisberger in the shotgun position. So this will be a team that's interesting to see how all this goes around. Dolphins are a good team, but they're surrounded by some good and great teams. It's going to be hard for them to crack this glass ceiling. Two is going to have to do a lot of work to get better. And I'm hoping that offseason moves that they made in terms of moving their chips to the front of the table can get them out of that, crack that glass ceiling and maybe get the Patriots out of playoff contention for the first time in a long time and further prove that maybe Bill Belichick ain't that good. Then the Indianapolis Colts, how does Matt Ryan adjust to the new digs? Does he still have the choking gene that he had in Atlanta? Honestly, I kind of hope so because not a huge fan of Matt Ryan. But the Colts are a C-tier, middle-of-the-road team. And then you get to the Las Vegas Raiders. And they're a team, in my mind, I can't really make heads or tails of. They're on the intersection of Know Your Old Boulevard and Jabroni Drive. And I think, in my mind, they are in a C-tier but are very much on probation and can be a D-tier team in a heartbeat. Speaking of that D-tier, Jets, Browns, Jaguars, Texans, do I need to say any more? Because those four teams absolutely belong in a jabroni tier. And hell, if I wanted to put the F-tier, the Jags would be in there. All the bottom feeders are here. And the Browns, if not for Deshaun Watson being suspended 11 games, which was the fair decision to make, $5 million fine, the counseling, all great moves. That's going to hurt them and pretty much ruins any shot of this team making the playoffs. It's about as slim as 
you know, Captain Kirk nailing the Kobayashi Maru. Star Trek reference for you out there. Take a quick timeout. Going to bring on Bob Rose. Talking Saints next right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD. Most sports talk shows turn it up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome is far from your ordinary sports talk show. It takes it just one step higher. These guys are laughing. Now back to the show that gets the lead out. Under the Dome with CD on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles, your home for the Houston Astros and the LSU Tigers. And let's waste no further time and get on our next guest, good friend of the program, good friend of the station, I would say, and that is a contributing writer for the Saints News Network, part of SI, and also co-host of the Bayou Blitz podcast. He is the one and only Bob Rose. Bob, how you doing, brother? CD, I'm doing great. Uh, always an honor to be on with you. Uh, I'm just trying to work my way into regular season form like your show is always. Oh, my show is always in season because it's never out of season, right? It's, uh, there's never a downtime in the world of sports. But let's go ahead and, and talk about last night's game with the Saints losing 20-10. to Obviously, preseason not a single starter did get a chance to play. But what were your overall takeaways? And we'll kind of go into a little bit more minutia as we go in further into the segment. But overall takeaways from the loss. I, I, I'll tell you, I'll first start with my concern about this run defense. Uh, yeah, this is the second straight week that you know, that the Saints have struggled in stopping the run. Now, I'm not overall concerned about the defense as a whole because, like you pointed out, you know, they, they, most of these starters just sat out completely, and the ones that did play didn't didn't play any more than a series or so. Uh, but what concerns me about the run defense is if they don't have depth at that position, then this unit, especially that front line, has the possibility of wearing down late in games or down the stretch of the season. Uh, you know, so I really want to see the Saints defensive line, backup defensive line, kind of shore itself up as we go along. Uh, you know, Offensively, you got to start with Chris Olave. I know he only got a handful of snaps and two catches, uh, but you know, even in that brief sample size, he showed Saints fans exactly why the team coveted him so much as a number one draft choice. Uh, outside of that, the offense obviously is a work in progress, but again, like you pointed out, you, when you get Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, Jameis Winston and that starting offensive line you know, on the field for that September 11th opener against Atlanta, I feel pretty good about that unit too. And you bring up the fact that the run defense is a concern. I think it should be, even if you wind up getting a lot of you know second, third string cats out there. You have, without a doubt, had one of the best run defenses in recent memory. You had a run of games where you weren't allowing 100 yards in a single game mm-hmm. that went, if I'm not mistaken, like, 15, 16 games, something like that? That was like a, like a long time, and nobody could really touch that. You had the Green Bay Packers who weren't necessarily known for their run game. You had Danny Edling out there running <laughs> running wild for a touchdown late in that ball game. Like, what's going on there? 
Uh, yeah, you're exactly right. And that, you know, that, that run by Atling, you know, some people would point out, oh, yeah, that's just a broken field run by the quarterback. But that revealed to me a bigger concern that's going on uh, you know, with the backup defensive line and linebacking court because what they failed to do is secure the edge uh, and keep containment on a very simple edge rush play. And we've seen the Saints defensive line, uh, front seven in general, struggle with that throughout preseason, like you pointed out. Uh, yeah, again, once you get Demario Davis in there, Pete Werner's back healthy. Uh, you get Cam and Marcus Davenport on that edge, Shai Tuttle, David Onyemata in the middle. I'm not concerned about those guys at all, uh, but I, I just need to see this unit really strengthen and fortify its depth because, as you pointed out, with their, with their string of such outstanding run defense, something that we've seen since 2018, it's because that they had a deep rotation up front and they kept those guys fresh, not only as run defenders, but you really saw it uh, affect the pass rush in a positive positive way late in games and down the stretch of the season too. Talk right now, Bob Rose, part of the Saints News Network, part of SI, and also co-host of the Bayou Blitz podcast. And looking over at Ian Book, because I think obviously a lot of people are already writing off Ian Book. And trust me, I've been writing off Ian Book since the second he got drafted. Because <laughs> it was it was the weirdest thing to see that. And now what we've seen through two preseason games, because we can't hold the game against the Miami Dolphins after Christmas against them because the whole damn team was out with COVID. This was, like, seeing him in these last two games doesn't hold well for his future, and it kind of makes you think, do the Saints kind of say, let's just go ahead and cut our losses and stick with just two quarterbacks? Clint, at this point, I think they do. Uh, And I I have, in in my 53-man roster projection as of right now, uh, and really throughout most of the offseason, I don't have Ian Book on there. Now, I see him possibly coming back as a practice squad, you know, continue to be a a developmental guy. Uh, But for him to convince Saints coaches uh, that – he needs to stick around on the 50 on the active roster because if they subject him to waivers for, to bring him back as a practice squad guy, they'd be afraid that someone else would snatch him up. I just don't see that out of this quarterback right now. Now he settled down after some early game jitters last night uh, and you know showed some real nice mobility against the pass rush in the second half, uh, especially. But to me, Ian Book just doesn't look like a guy that can read defenses, that can remain composed, and you know most importantly to push the ball down the field. I know he had 16 pass completions, but they, they only went for 113 yards. You know, he, he's, he's checking the ball down too quickly. He, he becomes skittish under pressure. Uh, and, again, I, I see him as still a possible developmental guy uh, that could work his way into a serviceable backup position. But when you're talking about a Saints team with so much depth at other areas, if I'm Coach Dennis Allen – I'm going to take a chance and subject Ian Book to waivers. If he's still available, I bring him back to the practice squad, but I'm completely comfortable going into the season with Jameis Winston as my unquestioned starter and Andy Dalton as the experienced backup. Exactly. That's kind of where I'm at on this. And that's not even a knock against K.J. Costello, who we have not right. seen a single like snap of, but apparently he's just being kind of held, held hostage somewhere, and he's not being able to play a single down, which – was surprising, I think, to say the least. I think it was just more of that, like, let's see how this guy does. 
Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And you know, as you know, they they had brought in Costello for a, a tryout and mini camp back in May. Uh, and I think what they're doing uh, you know, to kind of fortify you know, the theory that you and I just put out there is you know, that they'd like to keep a, a quarterback on the practice squad. And if they have to elevate him in case of emergency, and I knock on wood when I say that after last season, you want that quarterback to at least have some exposure and a little experience in your system. And you know, with KJ. Costello, at least during training camp practices, you know, being present, uh, you know, and Ian Book now in his second year in the system. If either one of those guys end up you know, end up on the practice squad, like you and I are theorizing, if they have to elevate them in case of knock on wood emergency, then at least they have a little bit of exposure to Pete Carmichael's offensive scheme. How great was it to see Will Lutz back to his old form, and if not better? Like the guy just came off of an injury that sidelined him for an entire year and he's out there kicking 59 yard field goals like we hate to say it like whenever we have a game that's so bad the only thing we can take solace in is the play of special teams but between him and Blake Gillikin they look like they are the stars of this team Oh, no doubt, and you know, uh, don't discount you know, the, the special teams coverage units last night, too. Outside of a couple penalties, I thought that unit played extremely well. But, yeah, I, I, and I love Will Lutz. Uh, I, I really scooted to the edge of my seat when they lined up for that 59-yard field goal. I said, okay, now we're going to see where his injury recovery is. Uh, and I, I was thrilled that he drilled it. And I don't know about you, that thing looked, looked, looked like it would be good from – well into the 60-yard range. Uh, to, to say that Will Lutch is back, I, I understand it's preseason, so it's a, perhaps uh, a bit in, uh, premature. But uh, th- this guy this guy can make a difference in whether your team goes to the playoffs or not. We've seen it. And you, you bring up the fact like he could very well have kicked that thing from 60. Do you think if the opportunity arises that Lutz could break the great Tom Dempsey's record? Yeah, I absolutely believe so. I think he has the leg. Uh, yeah, he certainly has the accuracy. Uh, and uh, an underrated aspect of that equation is you have to have the coach's confidence, too. Uh, yeah, the, I believe Dennis Allen has that confidence in Will Lutz. Uh, yeah, he showed it by using a, a valuable timeout just to get that little bit of wind at Will's back uh, you know, at the end of the first quarter. And, again, I understand that it's a preseason game, but i got to believe, based off what we know about Dennis Allen, that if it were a, pre, if it were a regular season game, he might take that same chance with, with number three. Any update on Jameis Winston and what his status is? Because I think, obviously, he's not going to play a single preseason game, as he shouldn't have to, before he had that injury that – kind of got people waiting with bated breath for an update on, but any further update on Winston, where he's at, and if he's going to be 100% ready to go for the season opener? Uh, see, the Dennis Allen sounds extremely confident that, there's, that Jameis Winston – uh, is well on target to being ready for the season opener. Uh, you know, in fact, just in, in in watching Coach Allen's mannerisms and the way he's talking about Jameis and what is coming out of his mouth, I gotta believe that you know yesterday's example uh, of the Green Bay game that if it were a regular season game, that Jameis would be a health healthy enough to at least go. Uh, you know, so that's a very encouraging sign. Uh, I know all of us in the media, especially, are jaded because we're used to 16 years of Sean. Payton 
Peyton, uh, you know, talking to us about injuries uh, and really not knowing what's going on because Coach Peyton played it so close to the vest uh, and, frankly, misled us a little bit at times, uh, you know, more for bait for other teams, I understand. Uh, I feel like Dennis Allen is being a lot more forthcoming with injury statuses of players right now. Uh, and, and again, you know, we saw Jameis trot out uh, on the first day of practice against Green Bay in pads. Uh, and even though he didn't participate in any of the scrimmages, he went through some of the light drills with his team beforehand. So again, I, I think that's an encouraging sign. I agree with you 100%. I would not suit him up whatsoever uh, against the Chargers in this final preseason game. There's no reason to. Uh, but if you get back to me this time next week uh, or a week and a half from now and he's not participating hardly at all in practice, I'll be a little bit more concerned then. But right now I have confidence that Jameis is going to be a full go for Atlanta. And what's been your overall takeaway of Dennis Allen through these two games and kind of under uh, how he's been all throughout fall camp and just how he how he's handled things in his first season as Saints head coach obviously has experience with the then Oakland Raiders but what have you seen from him now versus what we've seen with Sean Payton over the last 15 years I tell you the number one thing that stood out to me about Dennis Allen right off of the bat and it's, I've always liked this about him as a defensive coordinator is how organized he is uh and you know his his practices have been very structured uh you know, but at the same time very aggressive so he hasn't uh, the team the organization hasn't lost any of that aggressiveness that we become accustomed to under Sean Payton the biggest difference I've noticed between Dennis Allen and Sean Payton so far is we know the DA is a defensive guy just as we knew Sean Payton was an offensive guy. In Peyton's case, Peyton was so heavily involved in the offense that he just kind of, I'm not going to say he ignored the defense, uh, but he left that up to his defensive co- you know, coaches, you know, Dennis Allen and ones before him. In Allen's case, I am noticing that he is getting himself involved with the offense. He's not stepping on the toes of Pete Carmichael or any of those offensive coaches. Uh, but you know, from the footage I've seen and from our John Hendricks, who has been at every camp practice, uh, you know, Dennis Allen is in the ears of those offensive coaches a lot. Uh, he's on that side of the field when the, two, you know, when the teams are you know, participating in split drills a lot. So it, he at least is knowledgeable about what's going on and involved in what's going on in that side of the ball. Uh, one thing I I do find interesting is he does seem to be going relatively easy on the veteran players as far as you know, giving them days off, uh, you know, extra time to recuperate from injuries, things like that. Uh, I, I like the approach given the fact that we're you know, that we're facing such a long grind of a season, uh, but. I'll be interested to see how hard and how well this team comes out of the gates. Because if they come out a little bit slow or a little bit poorly, uh, yeah, Dennis is going to receive a lot, a lot more criticism then for going easier on the veteran players. So we'll see how the philosophy plays out. I personally like it. Bob, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, brother. And more importantly, don't let Jordy give you too hard of a time on Tuesdays, brother. Uh, Jordy's family, just like you are, CD. It's always a pleasure to be on with you, my friend. Uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, that was Bob Rose. You can follow him at Bobby R twenty six thirteen. Appreciate him joining the program as always. Got one final take before I get out of here and enjoy my weekend. So we'll be back after this right here on the game. One zero three seven Lafayette one zero four one Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're listening to. Under the Dome with CD. 
Before we close up shop here on Under the Dome, CD has just one more take to fire off before he drops the mic. Is it going to be a take that lands on the Scoville scale? Or is it going to be as cold as the pizza in your fridge? Let's listen in and find out. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Getting one final take in, and it's about the Big Ten. Or should I say the Big Billion with a B? Is that conference just locked down a billion-dollar deal? Absolutely amazing what they're doing with the CBS and Fox, all that stuff. But I want to get to the Big Ten on CBS. Is they dropped a video yesterday using the ever-popular and all-time great theme song of the SEC on CBS. You know what I'm talking about. Every time you hear it, absolute chills. And here's the thing. They have every right to use that theme song in perpetuity for whoever. You could have the Sunbelt Conference on CBS if you wanted to. They would use it. But when I watched the video, it was just more laughable and pretty cursed seeing Michigan Wisconsin, Michigan State, Minnesota, all these different programs with the SEC on CBS Music, big teams they're showing, Wisconsin highlights, Indiana, Ohio State, the list goes on and on and on about all those teams and seeing them with the SEC on CBS Music. I'm not going to freak out like everybody else on social media did, but I'll be honest, it made me kind of question my own sanity for a hot minute. But appreciate everybody for listening into the program. Of course, appreciate Glenn Gilbo and Bob Rose joining the program. Talk LSU and Saints respectively. Be back with you next weekend. Same bad time, same bad channel, and we'll have actual college football. Yes, college football going on next week. It's week zero. But more importantly, Under the Dome is back next Saturday, and we cannot wait for that. Until next time, you're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.